Uh, it's always a blessing and an honor to be here. We feel like we're among family. And uh, for you that don't know us, uh, this is my wife, Mary. Mary, can you stand up? She's my better half. My folks are also here tonight. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Hallelujah. Uh, for you that don't know us, uh, Mary and I were on the mission field from 96 to 2002. Uh, Pastor Sam Smith started a relationship with us years ago as I came into his office, a young uh, wannabe missionary, and uh, really needing someone to believe in me, and I found that here at Faith Christian Center. Uh, after about six years on the mission field, many wonderful things had occurred. Mary and I were struggling in our marriage. We came off the mission field. And Faith Christian Center was one of the few churches that stood with us. And uh, we came through that wilderness period, praise the Lord. And uh, now the Lord is doing amazing things again in Africa, this time with a healthy marriage. And so I'm, I'm really honored and privileged to be able to be here with Pastor John and Anita. They've been such a blessing in our lives. Our relationship is deepening. Uh, also, for some of you in this congregation who talk about, you know, the fact that you pray for us and some financially support us as well as just the funds that come through the church. Last time I was here last year, I ended up preaching so long that I didn't show our video. And uh, I'm tempted to do the same thing again tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I think that we owe it to the people in Botswana to show you what you're actually helping us to accomplish. Uh, so we'd like to show you about a 10-minute video and uh, and then share the word of God with you. So I th- think we can. It's pretty much self-explanatory. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we're busy, uh, as you can see, uh, running three churches, a Bible school, a program for children, building an orphan center. Uh, we need laborers. Please pray for us that they come. And... Uh, Thank you for your part in what we're doing. This church has been our primary supporter uh, in the individuals inside of this church. So we thank God for that. Hallelujah. Also, uh, what was not on there is uh, recently I was asked to be a parent of one of our public schools. Um, When we first started Powerhouse Sports, um, parents were wondering what we wanted with their children. They thought we were trying to get their kids to use them in witchcraft. Uh, So... It took us about a year to gain credibility with parents and even a little bit longer with the school. Uh, children would be threatened with beatings if they attended our, our after-school programs. Um, but now the school has asked me to be the parent of the school, which means every Friday I preach to 760 kids and all the teachers. And uh, I've, I've been able to have workshops with the teachers telling them how to raise children uh, who will be successful in life. So God is doing great things. And... Um, We praise the Lord for that. Amen. Let's pray and see where God takes us tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We thank you that in your presence is joy. We pray that you lead us and guide us into the truths of your word tonight, that we would be forever changed. Lord, we ask you to speak to us a word in due season. We recognize, Lord, that we are part of your plan, your end time plan. We pray, Lord, that you give us grace to hear and grace to communicate. Lord, lift us, challenge us, and change us. We don't want to be the same. 
So we ask you to draw us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn with me in your Bible to the book of 3 John. Verse 2. Historically, we know that John the Apostle was the last of the original 12 apostles. And this letter that he wrote was probably towards the end of his life. And so John had had the opportunity to see the church and people in the church for many years. He said in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in all, in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Tonight we're going to start here talking about what John was saying here. John said that he prayed or he wished or he desired in line with the Spirit of God that people would prosper in all things and be in health even as their soul prospered. And the word prosper means to go forward in your journey, to make progress. It is not simply a financial term. The word progress means to make progress or to move forward in your journey of life. John was saying that his wish, after seeing people in the church for many years, is that Christians would make progress in their lives. That they would move forward in their journeys. And that their progress in their journeys in life were attached to the progress of their soul. Many times people come to church for many years, but never really make progress in life. They find themselves with the same relationship problems that they had years ago. They find themselves stuck in the same positions and jobs. They find themselves stuck not being able to fulfill their calling on their life. Some find themselves thinking they're making progress only to realize, like the children of Israel, they're making circles. So John said, Beloved, I wish, I desire above everything. As I look at all of you as Christian people, I desire that you make progress. That you go forward in your journey, but it is as your soul goes forward. Some people are trying to make progress in their lives while their souls are stuck in prisons. The Bible defines our soul as our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it is impossible for us to make progress as God wants us to make progress if our mind, the way we think, is not making progress. If our emotions are not making progress, we cannot make progress. And I believe that the devil also understands that our progress in life is tied to our soul's progress. We cannot make progress as Christians in a vacuum. It is tied to the progress, the prosperity of our soul life. Some of us, we have emotional baggage which is keeping us from making progress in our lives. Some things that have occurred in our past, I wish they hadn't occurred. 
You know, one of the things as a pastor, and I've said before, I wish I had an eraser to go back in people's history and, you know, erase some of the days in their lives. But you can't. But what we need to recognize is God's desire, His overwhelming desire is that we would make progress. And there is a formula for making progress. And that formula is, as my soul makes progress, I will make progress. As my emotions make progress, I will make progress. As my mind makes progress, I will make progress. As my will makes progress, I will make progress. And I want to have a testimony, and I know you do. When we come back a year from now, we can say, we made progress. Hallelujah. In my relationship with my wife, I want to be continuing to make progress. In my areas of ministry, I want to make progress. I want to make progress in my life, and it is tied to the progress of my soul. Sometimes people are wondering, why am I not making any progress in my life? And sometimes it doesn't take very long just listening to what people are saying to to be able to pinpoint and say, the reason you're not making progress is there's an issue in your soul. There's something that someone did. There's something that someone said. There's something that someone didn't say or didn't do that's holding you from making progress. And it's time for you to decide. I am going to make progress in my life. I'm going to prosper in my life as my soul makes progress. Hallelujah. Turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua was a guy that made progress. Hallelujah. He made progress where others failed to make progress. And he was key to helping others make progress in their life. See, one thing that we need to understand is that my progress is somehow tied to other people's progress. In other words, God doesn't want me to make progress by myself. He wants my progress to affect other people's progress. So Joshua's progress in his life affected a whole nation. His attitudes, the way he viewed life, the way he thought was contagious and it helped other people to make progress. He helped them to change mindsets and belief systems because they were first of all embedded in him. But in order to make progress, let me just remind you what God here said to to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you. Now we have this same promise in the New Testament. Jesus said, I will not leave you or forsake you. He promises that he's always going to be with us. But one thing that we must understand, having the Lord with us is not simply the key to making progress. 
In other words, having God's presence is not enough. He said to Joshua, Joshua, you're going to have to be strong and of good courage. Then if you skip over to verse 9. It says, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In order to make progress, Joshua had to control this and this. God said, Joshua, I'll take care of the enemies. I'll take care of your mountains. I'll take care of the giants. Joshua, what I need you to take care of is you need to take care of this and this. If you take care of this and this, I'll take care of everything. If you can control this and this, I can control everything else. See, God is not affected by economy. Praise the Lord. Not affected by who we have or who we don't have. In office. He's sovereign. He's the king of kings. But what he is limited by is the attitude of our souls. So he said to Joshua, Joshua, you handle this. I'll handle that. Hallelujah. So he gave Joshua a formula for controlling his soul. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do what I've written therein. He said, Joshua, the word of God will help you when you think about it. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you feel. It will change your soul and it will change your life. I have found that the word of God has been my anchor to tie me to my relationship with the Lord. Because circumstances, you know how they are. In Africa, the circumstances are not favorable many times. But God says we have his favor on our lives. And so God is saying to us, take care of this and take care of this. Now he says, don't be afraid or be dismayed. And when I heard dismayed, that word has stuck with me for years. I think I even shared it last time I was here. The word dismayed means to break down when you don't know what to do. What what God was telling Joshua is, Joshua, even though you're a leader, even though I'm with you, there are going to be times in your life where you don't know what to do. As a parent, there's times in our lives we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. In leadership positions in life, whether it be at work or at home or in the church, there are times when even good leaders don't know what to do. And what he told Joshua is when you don't know what to do, don't break down. Just keep Thinking about what the word of God says. And when that happens, God will stand up. Hallelujah. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Genesis chapter 15. 
I want to encourage you and challenge you before we're finished. Genesis chapter 15. Um, I'm giving you a background for the story and then just read a verse and then we'll, we'll pick up here. Genesis chapter 15. This is the story of Abram. And Abram is having no child at this point and basically complaining. And so... Let's look at verse 3. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who comes from your own body. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, God with Abram had a problem with Abram. Abram's problem was he thought too small. He didn't have anything, didn't have a child, so he said, give me one. And God said, I'm not interested in giving you one. But Abram, you've got to change your focus. You've got to get outside of your tent and you've got to change what you're looking at. Because sometimes some of us, we are stuck in our souls because we just keep living and reliving our tent experience. In the tent, Abram and Sarah probably had talked and moaned and groaned about having no children. So God had to say, come outside and look up at the stars of heaven. Because my plan for you is much bigger than you think. See, God's plan for your life, not just my life, is significant. It's for you to be a person of influence in your generation. You know, I remember years ago, someone came to Bible school and said, you know, when you are born, 300 million sperm cells rushed for that egg and you won. Hallelujah. You were born a winner, not a loser. And so because you beat out all those others to be here, don't think that you're here for no small purpose. So God said to Abram, Abram, I've got a plan that's bigger than the way you're thinking. And the Bible says Abram believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then God said, and this is the part I want to summarize quickly. Then God said to Abram, Abram, you see all this land? I'm going to give it to you. And the Bible says Abram struggled to believe it. And he asked a question. He said, how do I know you're going to do this? Now, he just told him, I'm going to give you children like the stars of heaven. And he believes. Now he says, I'm going to give you the land. And Abram says, how do I know? Now, let me give you some history of why that was probably a difficult thing to believe. This land was not empty land. People lived there. There were kingdoms there. Peoples there. And God was saying to Abram, it would be like God saying to us, I'm going to give you Texas. <laughs> well, all these people living here, uh, they seem pretty settled here. <laughs> I don't think they're going to really go for this. And the Lord said, 
I'm going to give it to you. And then Abram said, how do I know? And then I believe God did something that made Abram thrilled. He said, take some animals and cut them down the middle. And Abram immediately understood. God was giving him the opportunity to cut a covenant with him. I think Abraham got very excited at this moment because Abram understood covenants. A covenant is an unbreakable alliance. And the word covenant means to cut. There is supposed to be a shedding of blood. So Abram went and got the animals. He cut the animals down the middle. God came through. Now, in our culture, at least for myself... I didn't really understand much what covenant meant. Even though the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and New Testament, which really the word testament is the word covenant. So our Bible is pulled into two parts which talk about agreements, contracts, unbreakable things. And many Christians don't understand that idea. And it's one of the things that keeps our soul from making progress. So Abram went out and cut the animals and all that. And what he was coming into was he understood that through this, everything that God had, God was saying, Abram, if you ever need anything, I'll be there. You know, the closest thing we probably have in society and it's broken down so much is the issue of marriage. You know, when a husband and wife get together and they stand before the the preacher or whoever and they say, you know, I will do this and, you know, I will do this. What they're making is a covenant. You know, and ideally, it's supposed to be between people who haven't been with other people so that when they sleep together, there's a little shedding of blood. But the idea of marriage is supposed to be this issue of I don't live for myself anymore. I live for you. And the other person is supposed to say, you know, life as it was before is over. Now I I live for you. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's how we lived? But Abram understood that what God was saying to him was, everything I have is for you. So I told you I would give you this land. I'm going to give it to you. Now, the thing that Abram also understood that in order for a covenant to work properly, he had to respond properly. Which meant that whenever God needed anything, he had someone to come and ask. In other words, because we are in a covenant relationship with God, what that means is when I pray, he has to answer me. But when he asks for something from me, I'm going to answer him. See, there are a lot of Christians who want God to answer them. But when God asks them for something, they say, whoa, you're asking too much. When we have financial problems, at least in Africa, I don't know how it is here because I live there. We have people in our church that they, when they have financial problems, they want to reach their hands into God's pockets. But when God takes his hand and wants to reach it into their pockets, they run. No, 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 no. You're asking too much. 
Do I have to give? Do you understand covenant? Covenant means if he asks me for something and I say yes, when I ask him for something, he'll say yes. But we've got many people who misunderstand and put God into kind of a slot machine kind of relationship. The methods of getting God to answer prayer don't work in a vacuum. They work in a life which also when God asks us for something, we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Let's go to the book of Second uh, Timothy, I think. Yes. Second Timothy chapter 3. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. This word perilous is sometimes translated dangerous times will come in the last days. And the word perilous, it comes from a, a Greek word that has the idea of also losing strength. And it has the idea of relaxing. In other words, what it's saying, Paul is writing to Timothy saying, In the last days, dangerous times are going to come because Christians, the church, is going to lose its strength. They're going to lose its strength because they begin to relax. Because they're going to change Christianity into something that it was never. They're going to make Christianity a religion of convenience instead of a religion of sacrifice. They're going to make it a part-time, add-on situation rather than this is my life. Perilous times will come. Times when the church loses its strength. When Christians relax. And listen to what will happen. For they will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. And the list goes on. But even in the first two, it says, these times will come when the church comes into a dangerous time because instead of loving others, they'll love themselves. Instead of seeing money as a way to bless and bring blessing into the world, they'll love it and hoard it. And it will be a time when the church loses its strength. We are in dangerous times, brothers and sisters. In Africa, the church is in dangerous times because what they are hearing has caused some of them to relax. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, not love yourself. Self-denial is one of the keys to being successful, to making progress in your life. The Bible says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. (coughs) 
But we're living in these times. I have the privilege and also sometimes the burden of traveling and seeing Christians in different places who have relaxed their hold, who have lost their potency, who have become confused about what Christianity is. Turn with me to Jude. Jude is writing, verse 3, he said, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. But instead I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord into lewdness and deny our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is saying, I'm, 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 I'm begging you basically, fight for the faith, the real kind of Christian faith that Jesus and the apostles delivered to us. Because certain people have come in and taken the grace of God message and changed it so that we deny the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand what I'm saying, deny? In other words, when he asks us to do something, we say no. Not to deny God, not to deny Jesus, but to deny the Lord God and the Lord Jesus. There's a difference. The devil doesn't mind if you have a God. He doesn't mind if you have a Jesus as long as you don't have a Lord in your life. Because in order to be born again, you have to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my boss. He's my master. I have given up calling the shots. Someone else is telling me what to do. He's telling me to love my enemies. I don't want to, but because he's my Lord, I will. He's telling me to lay my life down. I may not feel like it because he's my Lord, I will. The feelings will follow. You know, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll notice that when the devil came, it says, and the Lord God commanded, and the Lord God did this, and the Lord God did that. And when the devil came, he said, did God say, you know what he left out? Lord. And immediately after the devil leaves, it picks up this statement about Lord again. In other words, the devil doesn't mind if you have a God, if you have a Jesus, as long as he's not your boss. Because if he's not your Lord, that means that you can do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and that will not make an impact on the world. And you will not make progress as God wants you to make progress. Covenant is about this understanding that what I have is his. What he has is mine. My life is not my own. So when he says he needs me, I say, here I am. David understood this when he faced Goliath. He said, when he faced Goliath, remember he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what he was saying? Who is this guy without a covenant? 
God's going to deliver him into my hand. Your covenant with God should fill you with inspiration. But it also should understand the issue that God is calling us to live for him. And if we don't, if we relax our hold, we will lose our strength. As Christian people, it's important that we contend for the faith. Because some people have turned Christianity into a selfish, self-centered, self-serving gospel. And it's all around us. You know, now people, you know, they don't go to church anymore. Because they don't have to. It doesn't matter that it says it. People choose what they want. And do what they want, when they want, how they want. And that is not lordship. But the thing is, is when you've got a Lord and you've got a problem, you've got a solution. Amen. You know, even in, you know, I, I have had the privilege of seeing many people healed. Blind people, deaf people, cancers, all kinds of things. And I'm excited about that. I love that. But one of the things the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says, your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. And in other words, what the Lord says first is, I want it and then I'll be for it. Now, by God's grace, many times he does things and he, he, he takes us where we're at and he heals us. Praise the Lord. But he wants us to come to an understanding that we are not our own. We have been bought with the price. And trying to save our lives is what is killing us. Trying to protect ourselves from the cross is what is killing us. Jesus said, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to follow him. And what he was saying is people are going to hurt you along the way. Don't be surprised, even in the church, that people say things and do things to hurt you. That is part of your package. (laughs) Jesus told them up front. But I think we as disciples should be excited about the package we have. Because Paul said, this light of fiction is but for a moment. But it's storing up for us an eternal weight of glory. So far out of comparison to what you're going through. And if we will live the life, we will find that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. I feel like sometimes God says to me, when I ask him for something, he says, well, I asked you. I say, okay, I'll get that right. And he says, okay, now I'll take care of that. It is not a one-sided relationship. Jesus saved us by dying. That cost him everything. But after death comes resurrection.
You know what? You may be the only Christian at work and they may be saying and doing things that hurt you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Stop complaining. Thank God that you're there. He needs someone there. And if you'll endure, you'll see God come through for you. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you tonight. Let's contend for the faith. The real kind of Christianity. The kind of Christianity that can turn the world upside down. The kind of Christianity that will change this area. The kind of Christianity that will change Botswana. The kind of Christianity that can change the world. It is a Christianity of sacrifice and obedience. I'm not saying any of us are perfect. I know I'm far from it. God is not looking for perfect. But what he is looking for is someone to say, yes, Lord. And face life differently. When God had covenant people on the earth, everything changed. Hallelujah. When he found a David who understood covenant... Or Joshua that understood covenant. Things changed. And those things can change in my life and in your life. Hallelujah. We are in the last days. But God says in the last days. He will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Hallelujah. And how is he going to do that? He needs a church which has not relaxed their hold. Let me encourage you, if you know other believers who have relaxed their hold and are just coasting, lovingly tell them God needs them. Because we do. The world needs them. There are treasures in you which other people don't have. There are things only you can say or do. You know, in Botswana, there are some people that don't respond to me. They respond to someone else. Doesn't matter how much I try, I'm just not going to reach them. But there's someone else who can just say something, and it touches their heart. But let us contend for the faith that was handed down for us. And let us see how we can make progress. Hallelujah. Even as our soul makes progress. Thank God you're in a good church. Praise the Lord for that. But you know, if some of us would give a little bit more, you know, and change our perspective a little bit more, this whole area could be turned upside down. Hallelujah. Pastor John.